Hi, this is Betsy Beers. I'm the executive producer of Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder and Grey's Anatomy. And welcome to our newly named but somewhat similar Shondaland Revealed, formerly Scandal Revealed, but now we've got these three shows on this night. And we thought it would be awesome if we can cover all three shows, a different show every week, so all you guys get to hear stories about your favorite actors and plot lines, and I can catch you up on what's happening if I can figure out a way to do it in an efficient fashion. Today, before I go into my big old summaries, I wanted you to know that we have the best person on with me, which was really, really nice of him because he's been having really, really long days and he's been working really, really hard, and you know what? As a result, you guys get to watch episodes of How to Get Away with Murder. The person is, of course, the creator of How to Get Away with Murder, Pete Nowak. Hello, hello, hello. See, it's Pete Nowak. That's what he sounds like. Pretty <laughs> cool, right? He doesn't sound like, actually, Annalise Keating at all, which is Not encouraging. Um, I wish I did. I wish I could say How to Get Away with Murder that exciting. We've tried, yeah. actually. We've practiced many oh, times. it's bad. It's, it's ugly bad. people. You don't, you don't want to hear that. We do it now a lot where I just sort of say How to Get Away with blank. So I'll say, like, how to get away with dry cleaning. How to get away with groceries. Try it at home. It will make your lives my much husband, more exciting. My husband thinks our lives have gotten much zestier since I started doing that. Yeah. Pete today is wearing a, a nice sort of checked sort of shirt, a plaid, From a lightweight Stephen plaid. Allen. Yes. Stephen Allen. Thank you, Stephen Allen, for your fine men's clothing, because I think actually Pete sports a fair amount of Stephen what Allen. What I liked about it is that you can wash it and not iron it, and that looks fashionable, because I'm very lazy about ironing. See, so am I. I don't iron. Too busy at work. Too busy at work. Yeah. And who has time to iron and who doesn't want to look a little rumpled every yes. once in a while? I think it's, I think it's much more endearing. Yeah. And he's also wearing a pair of jeans and he's um, wearing a nice pair of suede shoes. I would have dressed up if I knew I was going to get reviewed yeah, on you, my fashion. You do. You get reviewed on your fashion. It's one of the key moments of the podcast. But wow. rest assured, ladies and gentlemen, he looks phenomenal. And I can hardly wait to start to talk about the new show with Pete. We had an amazing episode of Grey's Anatomy last night. Things are really starting to heat up here, and I think we all know that the season kind of got off with a bang with this whole appearance of Meredith's sister. But we now see how angry Meredith is about this entire thing. She kind of, I think, hopes in this episode that Maggie is lying. She vents to anybody possible. I think Joe, at the same time, is kind of pissed because Alex is now taking over as Mare's person, which is kind of pushing Joe out, which is kind of becoming a weird house drama. And as you all know, that house is always filled with drama. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter which one of these people are living there. Those walls have seen things. These walls have seen things. And Pete knows because Pete was on Grey's Anatomy for 300 years. And I now think, I get right? to watch it with all of you. And it's a, I'm a fan. I'm just a fan see, now. Just a fan. Now, Weber, as you remember, and if you haven't seen, you don't, goes to see Meredith because he found out that Maggie told Meredith that they're sisters. And now she is pissed at him because he didn't tell her about Maggie, but he points out to her that Ellis stole his chance to be a dad to Maggie several years ago. Now, meanwhile, in the other side of the hospital, or maybe next door, who knows, because it's a big damn hospital. It is large. Owen recruited Callie to help a wounded soldier by fitting him with some painless robotic leg that she's working on. And I guess after running some tests, Callie quickly figures out that this guy is not a good candidate. And they get into a big-ass argument in the hallway. And, of course, the whole hospital is taking notice. And this gets Jackson involved, and they reprimand Callie. And then Jackson, this is a big episode about venting, you guys, because Jackson also vents because he's tired of being the hall monitor. He just wants to be a surgeon. 
Finally, he sort of figures out maybe he could rewire the soldier's leg, which is cool. Now, Callie is excited about the research that she's doing, but you guys know the whole baby issue is just causing all sorts of friction between Callie and Arizona. Owen finally apologizes to Callie about the whole mess earlier, and she doesn't ex accept it. And finally, Owen kind of reveals that He's upset about Christina leaving. I'm just gonna say, thank goodness he finally revealed he was upset about it, because I've been upset about it for the past couple of episodes. And the fact that Owen actually owned up to it made me feel a lot better about it, but that's just my own side note. And Callie decides she's gonna join Owen to use some of her research money to focus on pain-free prosthetics for vets and brings Jackson in. So everybody has to vent a lot less by the end of this episode, which is good. Then a guy who um, rear-ended a lumber truck is brought to trauma with a huge log impaled in his chest. and. Everybody operates on him, and Maggie is so inspired and exhilarated after learning from Weber in surgery that it's a great moment for Maggie, and maybe it won't be so bad. You know, maybe we'll figure out a way to make this work. And Weber just sees something special in Maggie, and he knows he can't put off telling her the truth any longer. So throughout the day, also, Amelia and Derek are getting kind of pissed at each other, which is normal because they're brother and sister, and this happens all the time. And then there's finally the decisive board vote about Bailey and Karev. You know, they're both fighting over Christina's seat. Meredith and Derek are not having a good day. Weber finally reveals to Maggie who he is. This does not go well at all. And Karev and Bailey um, finally present to the board and it's clear everybody doesn't really kind of concentrate because they're all so tired from venting and being exhausted. Mm -hmm. And then finally they find out that Bailey got the board seat. So you know that's taking up a whole bunch of trouble. Scandal. Okay, Scandal's this other television show. It's at nine o'clock at ABC on Thursdays. The episode's called Inside the Bubble, and this is, it's about a lot of different things, because you know the way this is working. Cyrus has Ma Michael the prostitute. There's a whole thing going on with Cyrus and Michael. Cyrus bumps into Michael. Cyrus is kind of concerned when he sees Michael that Michael might be stalking him, but Michael, you just realize, is there to meet some business friends. Now, Michael calls Cyrus in the office later to apologize for being short with him, and they meet up at a bar later, where Michael offers his services, and this time Cyrus goes for the bait. Woo! Now, I know, right? Now, Finally. we all know. I know, right? Cyrus, I, go for that. I Michael just, I've, been, I've been worrying about Cyrus, too, because I think Cyrus has been, he's Don't. been on ice for a while. Yeah, no, no, no. Don't be a saint, Cyrus. Go, get in go, there. Go get in there. And as we all know, Elizabeth is somehow or another involved in all this because we learned that in the last episode. Now, in the, at the White House, Millie is sort of showing signs of vague recovery because she becomes strangely obsessed with this case of the cliffside killer. Over the course of the episode, she gets more and more obsessed and she uses all of her powers as first lady to get all these specialists because she honestly believes that this woman didn't do it. And poor Abby is losing her mind because she doesn't understand what to do with Melly because this is just a terrible situation. It's this incredibly humiliating moment for Melly. The good thing that comes out of it is that Abby and Fitz kind of bond. And she actually thinks now for the first time they have a real relationship. And then she realizes all he really wants to do is ask her about Olivia. Olivia. So it always boils down to Olivia. It does, it does. So David presents his case and strategy for a gun control bill for Fitz. And then the bill fails and Fitz scolds him. So David goes back to the B613 files for blackmail ammunition because David is sick of not winning. I smell trouble. You should, because you know what he found? The judge who shot down Fitz's gun control bill and blackmails him, and guess what happens? Gun control bill passes. Everyone thinks David's a hero. Nagging problem for David, because what we discover at the end of the episode is the dude that he blackmailed kills himself. 
So maybe there's a price to pay for actually playing dirty. And David always seems to pay the price. Now, Olivia goes to see her dad and he invites Olivia and Jake over for dinner. And Olivia invites Jake and Jake doesn't want any part of it. In the meantime, Catherine, this old schoolmate of Olivia's, has a problem because her daughter's missing. And over the course of the episode, they figure out where her daughter is. And once Olivia has actually told her friend Catherine where her daughter is, mysteriously enough, her daughter is killed. And not surprisingly, Catherine is arrested for the crime. Now, the last piece of this puzzle is that Jake tracks down Charlie and holds him hostage because he's going to torture him to get the details of Adnan and Harrison. But Charlie says that he'll give him all the info if he wants if he gets one night with Quinn. Which he gets. And there's some weird kind of messy, strange interactions that occur on the floor of a dirty, dirty room. Quinn holds out, but Charlie kind of humiliates her and Quinn kind of gets into it. And really the core of it is no one's looking out for Quinn. Like Quinn is always alone and Charlie's the only person who cared about her. And Quinn goes back to OPA and nobody even knows she was gone for like 24 hours. And Quinn loses her crap on Olivia and on Huck because nobody seems to care about her. Jake finally decides that he's going to go to dinner with Olivia and Rowan. And when Olivia leaves the table, Jake goes at Rowan, and there's a big old Rowan-Jake fight, and you know that this is not over and that this is bad. And we also know at the end that Elizabeth is continuing to keep tabs on Cyrus as this relationship with Michael, which is good for Cyrus's sex life, but I think probably bad for his political life. Mm -hmm. He keeps going. So those are those two shows. Thank you very much for listening to this. Now we actually get to the meat of the meal. The Pete Nowak speaking about the amazing television show, How to Get Away with Murder. Yay! I can actually talk about this one, people, because I've seen the episode. The rest... Betsy just spoiled the two other episodes for me, but I will still watch. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't watched them because we were too busy doing other things like live tweeting how to get it with murder this this oh. past episode. Oh my god, so much live tweeting. There's tons so of live tweeting. So much like preparing. It's it's hard work making these TV shows. Very fun, but hard work. Why don't you tell the lovely people who um, actually listen to this podcast, <laughs> how did you get your start in the entertainment industry? I was actually an assistant at an agency way back when you had to use fax machines to get your resumes to places. I uh, <laughs> moved to LA from New Jersey and I faxed my resume everywhere. Somehow some poor lady in HR called me and then I started in the mailroom at some talent agency, which is exactly what it sounds like. You push a cart around and you deliver people's mail and it's quite miserable, but it's a good it's a good place to learn. Did you actually have to do bagel runs and stuff? Because the people I know... Six a.m. at this place called Nosh. Nosh! In Beverly Hills. In Beverly Hills. I remember this place. Which means when you're living in Silver Lake, <laughs> I had to get up at 5 a.m. to get to Nosh on time. And I'm just going to say, you guys, the Nosh bagels, not the best. Yeah. Nothing in L.A. is going to be an East Coast bagel. But, but yeah. it doesn't matter. Everybody ate them. Yeah. While Nosh existed. Oh, my. At night, we would have to drive the scripts around to the actors and to the writers. Like, so if they had an audition for the next day, this was before, like, you would email scripts, too. You would have to take I had such a crappy car um, and I had to like dr- so after you worked all day delivered mail all day picked up bagels lunch answered phones got yelled at you would have to drive around and deliver scripts to these strange actors houses in the Hollywood Hills um, one time I didn't have, <laughs> one time I locked my keys in my car while it was running <laughs> As the car was parked uphill, and I I didn't have a cell phone at the time, so I had to knock on this actress's door. I won't say who. And I had to watch Dawson's Creek with her while I waited for AAA to come. Um, I did not get fired for that, but I probably should have. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know was, whether you should have gotten fired for that happening to your car or watching Dawson's Creek yeah. the actress. Because I think both are sort of like... Just being the idiot who locks his keys in the car while it's still running. That's what I should have got fired for. So that was my first job. And then I did many other assistant jobs. I even wrote a book about I'm it with a say, friend. Pete wrote a great book. Um, which is an assistance. It's the Hollywood Assistance Handbook. Um, I wrote it with my good friend Hillary Stam. We came up the ladder together answering phones and complaining and all that stuff you do when you have a demanding job that's thankless, but you learn a lot and we would read scripts and... I think it's a it's actually a must read for anybody who feels put down in their current position. Because sure. I think you actually have a lot of good tips in that book, as I remember. Yeah, yeah. It's just little coping tips until you get to your next job and then you get to have your own assistant and you get to abuse them all the way exactly. you've been abused. You exactly. Know. Never. No, no, never, never. never I never. found um, one of my tips is drink copiously. Yes. I think drinking drink copiously. That's one of your tips for life and I will, I say I follow <laughs> it quite often. I think it's, it's really, yeah. it's, it's an awesome, it's an if awesome If you're at tip. work right now, that tip works really well. No, maybe not. But. <laughs> maybe not. Some of you guys might be listening to this in the morning, in which case it's probably a slightly awkward tip. <laughs> I think, I think breakfast wine is not exactly something no. that I'm going to advocate for everybody here. Okay, so I first met you. We go way back, you guys, because um, I first met you in like 2006, 2007. You guys, Betsy's my Santa Claus <laughs> and Easter bunny. And strangely, I look and like Santa Claus, which is odd. All in one. Because when you um, are trying to be a writer, so anyway, you're an assistant for a long time and then you, you go to the Starbucks after you've worked all day and you write your scripts and you eat their sad sandwiches and you have to write lots and lots of scripts before you write anything that you should let anyone read. And then you get a manager and she sends your script to Betsy Beers and she's nice enough to meet with you and be like, this doesn't totally suck. That's what I imagine was in your head. Okay, no. So, okay, now this is like, this is great. This is like he said, she said. Yeah. This is like him going like, my thing sucked. Okay, so I'm sitting in this office and I'm trying to find writers for Grey's Anatomy and nobody knows this yet, but we're probably teeing up this new show which turned into private practice. But I'm meeting writers just in general. I get this phone call from this manager I know and she's like, I got this guy, he's really good. And I said, I want to read his stuff. And I believe very firmly that you shouldn't read samples of actual, you can, but it's not as helpful. Samples of what a lot of people do in Hollywood is you write a sample of the show. So all anybody would do is write samples of House in those mm -hmm. days. Like if I read one more damn sample of House, I swear to God I was going to stick like pins in my eyes. But she sent the two, one pilot, I think, initially, that Pete wrote, and I loved it, and I swear to God, you could have, actually, we probably should do it, because <laughs> it was a really, really good idea. I still remember what it was about. I still remember pretty much everything about it, and I, I remember meeting you, and you were amazing, because you were really funny, and you are really nice, and you knew everything about Grey's Anatomy. I did. I was a super fan. It was like season three, I remember. And I just loved myself some Grey's Anatomy. You did I'm it. sure you, some of you can relate. You, and you knew every detail. And just another fun fact about Pete, I think when Shonda first hires writers, one of the things she used to do was you used to have to take a Grey's trivia test. Oh, it was, it's brutal. It's I brutal. actually wrote the first one. Somehow I got out of it and I wrote it. Did you really? And the questions are things like, at what age was Meredith when Ellis tried to commit suicide? And in what room did she do it in with what murder weapon? Exactly. You know? When and did she move to Boston? When did she moved to Boston and uh, we would torture the new writers by having them stand up in front of the, the writer's room. Jenna Bands was the first one who had to do it. And quiz them like their job depended on it. And they would have to study beforehand and we would all humiliate them if they got the answers wrong. Of course it was a big joke but we never let them know that until no, afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the only thing I ever cared about was what was the name of Meredith's dog because you know we killed him. Oh my god I don't even. Doc. Doc. See, Pete Nowak. I had a flash of anxiety. For 500 years, yeah. and yet he still knows what he's doing. How different is life for you now? It's like murders started 
it's popular. People seem to be watching it, enjoying it, which is better than people mm -hmm. thinking it sucks, I think. But, you know, in a very healthy way, I'm always thinking that you're all going to stop watching any minute so we don't get <laughs> comfortable. Um, only now three episodes have aired. So, you know, we're working our butts off and finding it. It's a very fun, crazy, quick job. That's what nobody tells you. It's like, oh, how long does it take to write an episode? Like a few hours, right? It takes weeks and weeks. And you have a whole staff of these really helpful, amazing writers who help you write them and um, still it's it's all goes by really fast so basically the only thing I do in my life right now is work you know the other thing we've talked a lot about is when you first start this you start slow because you do a pilot and you have like oh. it's a fast schedule but it feels kind of like all the time in the world you, you work on the one script for like eight months oh, literally like forever and then and you, you sh shoot it and it's kind of fast you shoot it but then you edit it for months or something <laughs> it feels like and then you get to the second episode and you have to write it shoot it and edit it in like one percent of the time it's and then because then there's the third and the fourth and the fifth and they keep building up like yeah. it doesn't stop because you actually have to keep making yeah. the episodes and planning the stories out and, and stories. what's awesome about how fast it moves is you kind of just have to make decisions on the fly and some of those fly decisions are the ones that end up to be the most exhilarating and crazy ones that you see on the show i think we both and you you guys probably know this but we all feel really really lucky we got this cast and viola viola davis what can you not say about viola davis she you guys she's not only extremely talented, which I'm sure you all see in every single frame of the show. But she's also just this very cool, sweet, inspiring person. Awesome. Seriously, like you sit down with her just to have coffee and you leave and you're like, I'm gonna conquer the world and make it a better place. She is a life force that you can't, you can't buy that. <laughs> no, it's true. And I've got to say, even by episode three now, so Annalise Keating is driving down a really, really- Dangerous road. Dangerous road. Because now we're in a situation where she doesn't trust her husband because there's that phone thing that happened in episode two, which is super creepy. Now she's got this whole, where the heck was he? Was mm -hmm. he at Yale? Was he not at Yale? You have to be really afraid if you go to your boyfriend and you ask him to look into your husband and to right? ask him if he's a murderer. Right? Now, a lot of people will say, you know, that's extreme that she thinks he killed this girl. Sure, you know, he could have been having an affair with her, but did he kill her? Like, Annalise, why be so crazy? But really, this is what she deals with every day of her life. She's a defense attorney. She hangs around criminals. She sees people do the worst of the worst things every day of her life. So that's her go-to place, is this very dark worry that her husband could have been involved in the murder. Of course, she does not want to believe this emotionally. This ruins her entire being. She's been married to Sam for 20 years. You know, obviously, you guys haven't seen what their backstory is a lot but it's you know they've been through a lot together and so she does not want to believe this no i mean it's just it's a really really hideous choice for her because it's it's i think sam keeps saying like don't go to the dark side yes. you know like stop this is what your job is but and that's she why she loves it. him honestly because he's allowed he balances her darkness um i think with his more level-headed calm handsome presence yeah yeah by the way that's 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 a sandwich of lovely maleness because you've Honestly. got Tom Varick on one side and you got Billy, Billy Brown on the other Brown side. On the other. Who doesn't want to be that's, the baloney between that? Exactly, man. Piece, that's just a beautiful, beautiful image right there. <laughs> um, also, now you got the, this this West Rebecca thing going on because that was a big old ass shock at the end of last week's episode and now this week's episode. It continues to actually really yeah. Kind we of love shock ourselves me. some cliffhangers on this show, but yeah, if you remember at the end of episode two, at the end of their night in the woods. 
afterwards, after they've burned the body, Wes goes to some hotel room and we don't know who's going to be inside because, you know, they've been talking about how it's all her fault. And at the end of the episode, the her they are talking about is actually Rebecca, who might look a little different. She has less goth eyewear and nosewear and hairwear in that scene because it's three months later and things will have happened and so her look will have to adjust as you'll see in an eventual episode for some reason um i won't spoil it for you now don't spoil it because it's so good you guys um that's who he goes to see in the room and that's who he's been taking care of all that night why we will not tell you yet there you go see this is what's great about having the creator here because he is monitoring that information. No spoilers. No spoilers. Okay, I got some Facebook fan questions for oh, you, great. which is super exciting. Okay, Christy Smith wants to know, do you glean inspiration for the cases in this show from real life cases or stories? Yes. Basically what we all do, the writers and I and Sarah, our wonderful researcher, we all like scour old books and old stories from the 60s and 70s or whatever murder trials we want. Um, but because we don't do anything ripped from the headlines. We're not doing any law and order here. But we take interesting tidbits from cases or books we've read or crime shows we've watched. We'll take, yeah, inspiration from many of those because there's so much, unfortunately, true crime in the world that um, most of the strangest and weirdest stories come from things that have actually happened. Jax Rawlings wants to know, how did you come up with the concept of how to get away with murder and the types of characters you wanted to portray? Characters, for me at least, come from a very instinctive place. It's like the first minute they pop into my head, that's who they are. That sounds so pretentious. But like, you know, I think in order to write your characters well, they have to kind of be little parts of your life. Either they're parts of you or they're parts of people you know. Or they're kind of fantasy parts, like Annalise. Like, people always ask me, who's the Annalise in your life? I do not know any Annalise. Um, but I will say, that's what makes her fun to write, because you're like, what's you know, I've had some scary bosses in my life, of course, but like none like her. So that's the the idea, though, came from uh, me wanting to explore like really normal, relatable people who are in an extreme situation. And we always started with this idea of like four kids in a wood screaming about something. And I knew it was a murder. And so just from there, the whole idea developed. So as like any wannabe writers out there, just try to imagine your what's a really exciting first scene and it will all grow from there. I think it always just starts with like a seed of an idea and then you can build everything around it. But just, you know, what's gonna make you not turn off the TV channel that first scene? And I also, like, I think, I always remember things wrong, but I think what's interesting too about your process is a year before you actually pitched this, you had sort of the, the yes. seeds of the idea, but, it was but the Annalise character wasn't really fully fleshed out. No, it wasn't fleshed out. I knew that I liked the idea of like young law associates. At that time, they were going to be like first year lawyers at a firm working for this very fancy criminal defense attorney and they get wrapped up in a murder. But I didn't know who was murdered or what. I even think I had the bad idea. Like at the end of the season, you find out the person wasn't actually murdered. Like they're sitting on a deserted island somewhere. Um, <laughs> so there's a reason why sometimes you have to sit down an idea for a year. Once we thought of the college idea, everything clicked for me because I like the idea of that this isn't a world we get to see a lot, law school. I also felt like you're much more impressionable as a 28-year-old first-year law student than you would be as like some hardened law associate. And the school atmosphere is fun and the teaching atmosphere is great. And that Annalise worked at this like house out of her house just you made got, it more You came intimate. up with that really early. The house yeah. idea was like really key to you. Yeah, because it's like all what feels different than things you see. So now they're not like in some fancy skyscraper. Sleek and, law firm. With yeah, which I love those shows. Pointy I 
heels. But um, again, you don't want to copy anyone else. Um, do you, Tony Patton wants to know, do you have any law or criminal study background that came in handy for creating the show, or did you learn all of this? I have not learned much, no. Um, <laughs> what I do have, I you do not have... You might have learned how to get away with murder. I don't have any of that, and what I do have is good, good people to rely on, including, you guys, Betsy's husband, Bruce. Oh, that's right, yes. My husband is a criminal defense attorney, and he consults on the show, and you have never seen a happier criminal defense attorney <laughs> in your life. He's having such a good time because he loves being on set and he loves reading the scripts and giving input. He's a input. very creative mind as well. And he's, you meet him and you do not picture him to be a typical criminal defense attorney because he's so sweet and nice. But apparently, and I've oh, never seen it, Betsy says he turns into a monster in the courtroom. He's, he's just, an animal. He's just, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's kind so of, it's worth a ticket. A lot of our good Annalise techniques and strange kamikaze moves that we have her do come from Bruce. We also have two awesome lawyers on the staff, so we're protected. Mar Marcia Miles, or Marcia Miles, depending on how you pronounce it, which I don't know, so I don't want to insult them, so I'm saying both ways. How long does it take to make up or invent storylines? Depends on the storyline, but it takes a while. It takes a lot of planning. An episode storyline you can break, as we call it, in like three minutes if it's very clear and easy. Um, you know, a lot of times our flash forward storylines, like Michaela's in this, for example, that took us, if you put it all together, it takes us a whole day to think of that storyline. You know, first we see her freaking out in the house, then we see her in the woods after the coin toss and say, we can't go back there. This is a stupid idea. Cut to, and this was someone else's pitch and it's one of my favorite moments in the episode they are all at the bonfire using it as their alibi acting like they're having the best times of their life when really there's a dead body nearby that's one of my favorite moments actually in the episode that we just watched which is this moment where connor grabs michaela who's super out of it and screams smile or go to jail uh -huh. and the look on michaela's face which was sweaty and panicked could be a happy girl at a bonfire or it could be a girl who just did yeah. something she, she could just have. be like a drunk girl she can exactly or she could have just been around a dead body who knows you never know exactly uh, and then the last that then we see her lose the ring which is we, we always knew we needed her to lose her engagement ring and, but it's just how did we get there and what happened to Michaela over the design of that night um, that was always our challenge and it, you have to throw out a lot a lot a lot of bad ideas to get to a good one Dandrea Francis Michelle wants to know will there ever be a chance of a character crossover with scandal and how to get away with murder Never say never, but I will say no. Um, <laughs> if I have anything to do with it, no. And I think Shonda would probably say the same I thing. I think Shonda would definitely say that. And I'm just um. going to say my vote as a non-writing EP who... No, absolutely no. no. But They're, you don't, everybody suggests it. Everyone suggests it. I mean, it'd be it. interesting, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I think, a succinct answer to that question. This is great, Pete. Thank you so much for this, because it's really, I think, giving a lot of insight to folks on what your process is, and also just teeing up the next bunch of episodes. I mean, we can't really say very much. We can't say much without giving away, but just know, it, there's some stuff that happens. There's serious stuff that happens. And by the way, <laughs> there are all these things which we're dangling, like, what's the deal with Bonnie and Sam? Like, uh -huh. what's that going on? And there seems to be some undercurrent with Frank and Laurel. I just keep yep. seeing that, too. And then, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm rooting for Michaela and that dude after last night. But what's going to happen with her? Maybe there's yeah. someone else in the wings. I don't really have a clue what's about gonna that. What's going to happen with her New Year's wedding, which is just a few months away? The New Year's wedding. I'm so excited. I love weddings. And I love me a good television wedding. And what's going to happen with Rebecca? Is she going to stay in jail? Did she kill Lila? I know. I know. It's just, it's so confusing. Confusing. She's in trouble. She's in she's in trouble. And what the heck happened that night? And I think the great thing is 
if you keep watching little yes. by little, the you're going to be able to figure it out. The puzzle will come together for you. That's what we call it. And it's our puzzle. And we're slowly filling in the pieces for all of you. So just keep watching. And then eventually you'll have the whole thing. And you'll be able to laminate it and put it on your wall. It'll be, it'll be like great, a real puzzle. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for spending the time to do this. Because I know how busy you are. Because I spent a lot of time running up to your office and staring at you. And no. saying what's going on. I love when you do that. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. And I want to remind everybody that next week there are going to be brand new episodes of Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and How to Get Away with Murder on ABC at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and 10 o'clock, respectively, on Thursday nights. So I encourage you on all fronts to keep watching. As you can see, How to Get Away with Murder next week, there's a lot of stuff and an amazing case of the week that I just have to tell you guys is one of my all-time favorites. I think you will super enjoy. Um, Grey's Anatomy, uh, we're not done with this Meredith sister problem. This is something, this is a gift that keeps on giving, and I'm still worried about Meredith and Derek myself, so I think there's going to be stuff to be had, and what's going to happen to Richard? Weber's in a bad place, I think. And Richard we, can't get a break. Richard can't get a break, and it's a really interesting episode of Grey's next week. I really, seriously recommend it, and Scandal, you guys, come on. Come on. What's not to like about Scandal? We've got these issues, the Jake, what happened after that dinner, just, I'm, I've got a bad feeling. Please remember to follow us on all of the social media sites. We're, of course, on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And for those of you like me who really like to stare at your computer, there's ABC.com. Join us next week for a brand new podcast with another special guest. Most likely somebody from Scandal, but stay tuned and read Twitter because that's where we'll update you. This is Betsy Beers. I'm the executive producer of Shondaland Thursday Night saying thank you very much for listening. I will be back next week. Have a safe, safe week in between. Goodbye.